Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our pleasure now to uh, have in studio with us uh, the author of the book Two Tribes about the Super League War 25 years ago, Australian journo Steve Nasgord. <laughs> G'day mate, how are you? Rock guy, how are you mate? I'm good brother, It was how a mission you? to get here, I've got to tell you, the holiday, post-holiday oh, traffic. You're I am. in Auckland. Yeah, yeah, we got no, we got no idea about traffic, no idea about public transport. You, when you told me Who you were told coming you to from Howard, bus? you told me you were coming from Howard. I was like, oh god, you'll never get here. I, <laughs> I grew got, up in I Howard, mate. Here. I know how far away that is. Yeah, I, I got here. I got here, and my first instinct was to um, rush into the men's room, but I've come in here instead. So I'll give you a secret signal if I've got to go. <laughs> mate, where's, where's the ponytail? <laughs> I got rid of that a long time ago because my forehead started to become a five head. Uh, so uh, it started to be all. It started, <laughs> the ponytail was starting further and further back, so I got rid of it, yeah. Hey, mate, can I ask you a question? I've got to ask it straight off, mate. Those days in Newcastle, those very, very early days when you used to walk around, how old were you then? 19 in the changing rooms? Yeah, I was. Uh, I guess I started, that was 1988. You're, you're right. Wow. Yeah, 19. I was 19. I see nothing wrong with my CT. No, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm still, I'm still okay. That's why I played fullback for so long. Hey, and what do you remember? Just what do you remember? Like, give from a journalist's point of view, those early days at Newcastle, because people don't really understand it. When I talk about it, they just they don't really get it. But what what what's your memories of those early days up there in Newcastle? Well, I reckon journos today wouldn't understand it because, like, for the first thing you said was walking around in the dressing rooms. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, you've got these mixed zones and uh, everyone gets the same thing and you've got these formal press conferences. And, and, and back then, you know, you... you, you you went into the sheds first, you walked around, started to talk to players, and then the coach, um, you know, they'd say the coach is starting to talk now, and, and you'd um, stand in a semicircle around the coach, and um, and then you go back to... So, so if something happened in a game um, that you spotted, you'd be able to go around and talk to everybody involved in that incident, and you'd be able to tell the whole story of it, um, whereas now, you know, if you've got a good question... Um, as soon as you ask it, then everyone else hears the answer. Um, and so you get sort of everything's a bit more homogenised and I guess it's more down to opinion and stuff like that now where it's your take. And um, But back then it was, um, you know, you form relationships with people and friendships with people and I've been doing these um, book launches. Um, I've done about four or five of them since I've been back in the Southern Hemisphere and been t- telling uh, people how... You're actually better off if you, as a journo, if you have at least one stink with a player or a coach, they kind of figure out what you're made of and how you deal with those sort of um, conflicts. And you're actually more likely to make a friend um, for after career, after your career or their career, if you've had at least one stink, because um, it's how, how you handle yourselves in, in conflict that um, is a test of someone, I think. And, and the Super League War was all about conflict and you, everyone was having conflicts with everybody. So you, you learned a lot about human nature. Yeah. Well, I mean, that Super League War is, is the, base, the basis of your book, Two Tribes, which is out now. Uh, and you've got a book launch coming up uh, in a couple of days' time in St. Helias. Yeah, that's right. It's at the Pigeon at St. Helias Bay. Uh, full name, uh, St. Helier's Bay Pigeon Racing Club. I don't know if 
I'm expecting to see some pigeon racing on there, but but um, Mike Tyson coming, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was going to be at seven thirty. If anyone, if anyone did think it was on, it was going to be at seven. But there's another function on later, so it's going to be at at five thirty. And plenty of people who um, I know, um, Trevor McEwen said he was yesterday. Said, can I tell Graham Lowe about this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So at the Cronulla one, we had you know uh, Peter Gow, Adam Ritson, Shane Richardson, uh, Barry and Greg Pierce. Um, uh, David Gallup. So, you know, it's a good opportunity. Actually, I, I would avoid at all costs getting me to sign the book because the value goes down. But maybe <laughs> maybe some of the other guests, uh, if you get them to sign it, the value might go up, yeah. I've got to, got to ask you about parallels. Um, you know, 25 years ago, it was the ARL versus Super League. Now it's the NRL versus the Players Association of the CBA. Do you see parallels there? And do you think we might see a player strike this season? Yeah, I don't know whether we're going to see a player strike, but I, I, there's definitely parallels because Tony will tell you, you know, the players, you know, they were part-time when he was at the Knights and um, and, and obviously Super League led to, uh, well, it's certainly, um, you know, brought on or, or made full-time professionalism um, completely. Well, Laurie Daly never worked another day in his life. No, 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 fully wide, widespread. So um, now we're seeing also, I, I, you know, I, I actually think the current NRL administration might have forgotten a few of the, um, lessons learned from the Super League War because they weren't around at the time. And one of those things is that um, the people who follow the game see themselves as stakeholders, and if they feel they're being taken advantage of or not listened to, that they they stop um, watching and they stop going. And there was a lot of uh, obviously these rule changes that were you know it was an example of that. You know a little bit of hubris there from the NRL administration that we can rush in these rule changes and and you know you'll kind of do you have to put up with it and what we learned in the Super League war is that um, administrators have to make be very careful before they put through any major changes because if they don't the fans uh, will desert them so I think maybe there, there's a bit of a lack of corporate memory there at the NRL at the moment in regards to the the period we're talking about does it does the book capture the the I guess the um, the what are you going to say the, the tearing apart of friendships and, you know because you're, mm. you're looking at when they when Super League came along, and and of course we had the ARL competition. Um, friendships were challenged, you know. Like up in Newcastle, blokes were put in vans and driven down to to headquarters to sign these these contracts, not knowing what the other players had signed for, and and vice versa. Um, even administrations, do you cover that off? Oh, uh, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, uh, Matt Fuller, who was at. Uh um, Perth, uh, you know, he he was forced when Perth folded to go and play in England, and, and it ruined his marriage. We cover Roy Masters and John Rebo, and and their friendship um, falling apart, and certainly, you know, Mark Sargent and Malcolm really almost coming to blows in ARL Grand Final week, um, because you know one was at the Mariners and one was at the Knights, and th- they went to the Cricketers Arms in Newcastle. One thing led to another; they had to be separated in the in the Dunnies. So, yeah. so um, I could tell you a couple of stories of my own with Mark Sargent at the Cricketers Arms, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much has changed in 25 years. If you, you fast forward, you look at Jack Whiten and Latrell Mitchell still getting into trouble. Nothing, no lessons learned, mate. We don't learn from history. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The three questions we try to um, answer is what was it about, who won, and what what do we learn? And at the end of the telling the sort of um, chronological story, and, and um, I actually just put the quotes in a chapter, just basically who won, um, what was it about, what do we learn, and and just list everyone's answers. And 25 years later, there's – you ask 100 people, you get 90 different answers. Hey, so I'm I'm, I'm going to ask you a question because this is a question I always get asked about Super League in the era, um, and I I, I was rewarded handsomely, I've got to say Mm. that. Um, But who was the top paid player? 
Yeah, people do ask that, and that that was kind of um, determined more the year before than the year, and I, my, my book picks up at the end of 96. Because Reggie was well paid. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. Um, and also you'd have to say Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly uh, and Brad Fittler would be right up there. Um, so, you know, and I guess guys got – this is the thing. Guys got paid for extra things, didn't they? They got paid for endorsements. They got paid to do ads. Uh, you know, so I don't think there's a, there's an exact answer to that, but I think the guys – you know, we just mentioned. You know, we're we're right up there. Mm. I mean, Ricky Ricky Stewart and Paul Harrigan initially were kind of the only players who got um, who spoke to both sides because it was all done so um, sort of surreptitiously um, that the players were all put in a room. And in, in the, on the Super League side, it was like, well, you can't speak to your manager. And on the ARL side, it was yeah, the manager comes in, and the manager gets a, a good whack as well, and brings another ten players with them. Yeah, was there any talk about? Because um, you know, obviously being a player and it's bring, starting to bring back all the memories of the questions I was asked and asking, was there any truth in players signing media deals that they guaranteed contracts for, for media for 25 years? Well, Paul Harrigan, um, at one point when he, Super League said to him that he'd be reading the news. At one, oh, no, no, actually. Because uh, Wally Lewis was reading the news. Yeah, Wally Lewis was reading the news. Yeah, so, so actually, no, his, his brother, who was also his manager, um, that was one of the requests that, he, he would, uh, that he'd, be, he'd have a job for life afterwards, you know, reading the news and that. But he went back to the ARL, as we all know. He drove the um, Knights down to um, Sydney and they all subsequently signed. And Mark Sargent, who we've already mentioned twice, he got out of the bus. And I think um, Gateshead around there because he's already already going to Super League, so he said topped the bus and got out. But but the, the big thing about the story, oh, is he good riddance. Yeah, <laughs> really, really. I, I get on great with Sarge. I don't know why. Anyway, oh, I get on great with him now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, the big thing of the year was obviously the Knights and the Knights winning the comp, and it, it was it was such a. F- Everything about Super League was so commercial, and and a lot of the things were um, uh, manufactured, is the word. And and I guess you manufacture something, and it either stays fake or it doesn't. And a lot of, some things stayed fake, some things didn't. But it took the most sort of visceral, emotional, community based um, um, story narrative in the sports history to sort of wash all the fakery away. And the ARL um, had. Even though the ARL had very little money, they the Knights gave them some cards at the table when the peace deal was done, and that's to me the sort of story is is it is it the people sort of reclaiming the game, and it's a it's a real sort of a, a, a little community against uh, against big business story. So even if you're not interested in league um, or even sport, I still think it's got something to offer. Yeah, uh, from somebody who's a fan of the game and worked in the game for so long, from the start of this book to finishing this book, how did your attitude change to what happened in it? Yeah, um, the big thing that – it reinforced a few things for me and it reinforced the fact that the people uh, – there's, there's, there's an aspect of it that's a little depressing in that, you know, rugby league is such a um, – uh, it's such a working class based, community based, and also geographically defined sport that it's very hard. We're watching on the TV here Sevens, um, Sevens Rugby Union. Um, it's very hard for rugby league to do things like that uh, because people feel they own it. And if you put on a team, if you put a team out called New Zealand or called Japan who are playing up there now and they don't have the stars, the rugby league fans are a bit hardcore and they'll go, I'm not going to support that. The stars aren't playing. I'm not sure who the Japan rugby league stars are or who, which fans <laughs> would complain that they weren't playing. But you know what I mean? So so rug, so it's it, rugby league is kind of um, – it's saved by its core constituents, but they also uh, hold it back at times from doing 
the things that other sports can do. Like you look at the AFL with their salary cap and their draft and their living away from home allowance and the centrally contracted players. And rugby league fans sort of won't cop that because because it's such a sort of grassroots uh, man on the street sport. So. I, I guess the thing I got out of it is that the game seems to be locked in this loop where it it, it makes the same mistakes over and over again. That's the kind of negative that I get out of How long have you been in New Zealand for? Um, I've got I to tell here. you what, don't jump in the loop over here. You will never get out. <laughs> <laughs> it's 8.30 here on SENZ. This is Breakfast with Izzy and Kempi Ricardo with us, uh, in with us. And Steve Mascord as well, rugby league journalist, author of Two Tribes. Uh, Steve's just given me the uh, the signal for a comfort break. So no, I haven't. I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm we're, fine. We're, we're Go to news with Araha. Uh, Araha is going to bring us the latest in news and sport when we come back. Steve's going to stay with us for another 10 minutes or so. It's SCNZ at his breakfast with Izzy and Kempi. Ricardo in as well and Steve Mascord, uh, author of Two Tribes as well, will be back with us shortly we'll continue to, to, to chat to him a uh, few texts coming through on double eight uh, double three as well, one of these from a bloke called Ryan who's texted thanks for your text Ryan, as an 18 year old, I got signed to the Adelaide Rams under 19's team yep. crazy money even for that, unfortunately never played a game for them because of the court case Yep. so the court case went for quite a while and it uh, was basically determining who actually had to say over who could play in what competition, and they ended up running two competitions for quite a while. And in that Super League competition, which was really interesting, is they used to come up to the UK and play home and away, every club. So you can imagine the type of money that was being spent through um, that, that time where players not only got paid well, but the, the clubs were getting taken up. You're taking 30 players up on a, on a trip to England just to play in a club game. Well, it's probably a big part of why the game's at, at, at the stage where it is to, at the moment. And the players now are, are fighting the CBA and trying to get to some situation where they can get remunerated, uh, uh, well, rightly, and well, do what's right by them. So, look, I love it. I love it. And I love hearing your stories, Kempi, regarding it because you were back in that era and you were a part of it and you understood, you know, what it what was involved and what was going on around you and some of those memories are coming back out, mate. They're flooding back into you, aren't they? Well, they are and they're, they're quite unique because I actually mm. signed for Super League and yep. ended up coming back and playing for the ARL in the ARL Crushers comp by mm. moving up to Brisbane because Brisbane put in an ARL team called the Crushers yep. and then I went back and signed for Super League straight after it when the ARL tried to keep me back on there. So it's really interesting to get Steve's take on it. Um Especially because there's a lot of questions that we had as players. One of the and one of the questions I want to ask you, Steve, um, just just while we get back into this here, is although the although there was a fractured relationship between the players and 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 the administrators and all that, what part did the journalists play in it? Because the stories were massive. Yeah, it was. It was. Someone said to me, um, it was. The, I interviewed someone who said maybe it was Neil Cadigan who was um, actually at the Mariners and. You said it was the end of one era in journalism and the beginning of another where the um, the reporters became the focus in in some cases and the some cases and the gossip the rise of the sort of gossip journalism. I mean, at the end of 1996, we had Jason Taylor and some North Jason Taylor in particular being escorted out of the SCG. If you remember, at a one day mm. match where they got a, a bit rowdy and stuff. 
And that was kind of like the start of the, the CEO of the league having to be on the evening news every night trying to explain the behaviour of players, which happened most recently last night. You know? um, so so before that, that wasn't... Um, a key part of the the job and and there wasn't so much interest in in what happened off the field but i think if you go back to what i said earlier with people um wanting you know applying this kind of working class values and and expectations of people that people don't get too big for themselves and don't get too big for their boots um when the players when the players salaries started being published in the paper suddenly the expectations of, um, of their behaviour went up. And also, I guess, it actually, also engage, like, it's also jealousy is great, um, great for engagement, mm. <laughs> great for, uh, um, you know, getting people to watch things, read things, comment on things, and in social media, share and like. Um, and so it's easy. It's an easy thing to appeal to people's jealousy that someone's on a, on a squillion dollars and they're misbehaving in the pub. It's an, e- it's an easy get if you're, if you're a media organisation, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and Steve, I mean, on... on- on that, you, you talk about um, you know a change in the, in the way that journalism worked as well, and you know you, you think about people like Rupert Murdoch behind behind mm. these things as well. The players got paid a lot, but what about journalists? Was there? Were, do you think there was a situation where journalists were being paid to sway one way or the other? Not so much. In How fact, much did you get? <laughs> well, actually, it's funnily enough, there were people on. Um, there were, there were people on the News Limited side who who were traditionalists, and Steve Ricketts from uh, Brisbane yeah. comes to mind. And there were people on the Fairfax side who were dreamers, and I come to mind. I mean, I was, <laughs> you know, I loved the I loved the Adelaide Rams, and I, I loved uh, Paris Saint Germain versus Hunter Mariners. You know, yeah. that was for me that was great. Uh, and we lost really. Like that's the thing. Like the people say, who won the war? I'm going off on a tangent here. People say who won the war. It depends what you were trying to achieve. If you're trying to introduce pay television to Australia, then then the news won the war because they did. <laughs> you know, and Malcolm knows says in the book that Foxtel wouldn't exist without without Super League. But if you're talking about the soul of the game and what the game represents, the Dreamers lost. We lost because the the World Club Challenge was a disaster. Um, the you know, the the nines, the international nines, wasn't played again until 2019. No, North Sydney. Yeah, North Sydney's gone. Well, I mean, yeah, I, that's more a traditional thing. So that's probably goes the other way. But 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 the game the game rebounded back to its traditional roots and tried to win those people. Uh, back. That was the whole thing about 2000 and and uh, sorry, uh, 1998 was just trying to buy back the farm, get the traditional fans back. And I, f- I went off and answered a completely different question that no one asked, Ricardo. So what was the question you actually asked? Uh, no, I, was, I was asking whether or not you thought journalists got paid. No, to, no, to, no, to no, go no. But, one but, way but, but some people. That's in... why I didn't answer it because he got plenty. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Some people felt um, that they. You know that they felt an obligation to to sing from the um, same songbook as their bosses and yep. and their jobs and I guess they kept their jobs and that they were rewarded for their loyalty uh, for doing so. Others didn't feel that they had that duty. Um, and, and, and now they live in London. No. Hey, just, <laughs> can, can I just ask you? Can I just ask you, Steve? But I'm going to say they said Steve Edmed actually the reason that News Limited journos had no more mini bars was Steve Edmed's contract. That was a <laughs> that was a joke going around. No more mini bars because we had to. Yeah, you know, I got done a couple of times on that one. Um, <laughs> I just want to. I just want to ask this question. Like uh, my thoughts on rugby league moving forward, or, or rugby union being um, being taken to the next level, like a Super League ARL war, is when someone such as a um, who would I'd say like an Amazon 
decide to buy them as a product. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Do you see that happening? Do you see? Do you yeah. see instead of it being between Murdoch and Packer, it's now between Amazon and Elon Musk? Well, that'll be that'll be the next big change. So whenever there's a um, technological, the super, there's I always say this great. Uh, this line is that um, is that there's always seeds of discontent in the garden of rugby league. But Rupert Murdoch came along with the big watering can, and the watering cans come from um, technological change generally. So, so I think it'd be healthy to have a disrupt a disruptor from outside Australasia come in and try to and see some value in the product and, and try to buy it because at the moment it's getting it is getting too bogged down in a duopoly. You know, we had a we had a monopoly before the Super League war with Packer. Um, and now we have a duopoly um, with Nine and News and 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 the administration, and they're they're very very cosy to the extent that they tore up what I considered to be their own nuclear fallout shelter, their own digital operation at the behest of their media mm. partners. So so yes, I think I think it'd be um, there's always seeds of discontent. There's always clubs, players, officials. Uh, administrators who are unhappy, and it only takes someone with a motivation to put a bit of money in their back pocket for us to have another rebellion. I mean, our game was born out of rebellion, and it's in our DNA. We're always ready to have a stink, always, every single day, you know. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, Steve. Thanks very much for coming in, mate. Really appreciate it. Uh, the book, Two Tribes, is available now everywhere, and St. Helier's, the Pigeon Racing Club, that's going to be Thursday night. No, it's going to be because uh, then then the, the the Warriors game would clash with it. So it's on Wednesday night at uh, five thirty p.m. at the Pigeon Racing Club in St Helier's um, Bay. And uh, to buy the book, stevemascot.com forward slash product forward slash two tribes. Two tribes. That's the name of the book. Get it, uh, Steve Mascord. Thank you for coming in. Really appreciate your time. It is nineteen away from nine when we come back. We head to the UK. Catch up with Chris Foy from the Daily Mail about the English rugby team.